Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. today. Uh, before we start exploring theurgic activism, uh, which we've uh, been exploring for several shows now, um, and stoicism, which John had recommended we cover because stoicism is making uh, a comeback, uh, I'd like to catch up with everybody and uh, learn what they're doing. So we will start with Brandy. Oh, um, I am um, working on some presentations. I'm doing a presentation at Noticon for uh, it's a polemic presentation, and then I'm at Sacred Harvest Fest um, wow. starting the second first week in August, um, where I'm doing five days of theurgy <laughs> in Minnesota. So come join us. That sounds incredibly awesome, and I wish I was near to Minnesota. I would I would love to join you, um, Tony. Um, just more of the same, but I'm also very aware of Pagan Pride Day coming up shortly, and I, I always present something for Pagan Pride Day, and I'm also going to have to start thinking about what I'm going to do for, for Pantheon next year. Um, as, uh, as as um, our listeners probably realize, we had a panel on earlier on this year, and it'd be great if we could do another panel next year and perhaps get even more of us turning up. That sounds incredibly awesome, and I'm looking forward to joining you. Uh, I had some questions. I'll ask them uh, uh, between shows, and uh, this way I'm uh, prepared. We started looking at hotels, and uh, uh, we have family nearby we'd like to visit, so uh, you know, we're really getting into this. So we'd actually meet you in person. Wow. Yes, I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to that. That would be fantastic. 
Uh, and Bruce, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's been a little bit of a busy summer, but um, I'm uh, along with Tony. I'm I'm thinking about uh, Pantheacon and Pagan Pride Day coming up. Um, as I think I mentioned last time, one fairly major project this summer has been uh, looking at Carl Jung's uh, Red Book. Yeah. Um, as from the perspective of theurgy, this was a six-year theurgic operation that he uh, undertook that produced the, the at least the core text of the Red Book. He then went on to comment, uh, right, to comment on it and interpret it uh, for some probably 20 years after that. So that's uh, taken a lot of my time uh, this summer, and it's it's uh, really a kind of a fascinating a fascinating study that I'm going to be continuing. Yeah, it sounds phenomenally interesting, and uh, um, I look forward to hearing what you'd care to share of your uh, explorations. Yeah, for sure. I, You know, I think one of the things is we often think of our theurgic activities as being uh, kind of private stuff. We, we do them individually or perhaps with a small group, and, and we are, are really doing them um, for the benefit of, of just a few people. But... Um, Jung's activity in producing the Red Book, I mean, he says quite clearly in reading it, you can see that it's true, that it was the inspiration for all of his later psychological works. His, you know, his, his collected works are something like 18 volumes, and mm-hmm. he's had an enormous impact um, in many areas besides psychology. And in some sense, it all came out of this these theurgical operations that he did. So that shows, you know, really the uh, impact that theurgy can have much wider than on an on just an individual or a, a small group of people. Oh, indeed, and uh, Jung's uh, psychology certainly influenced me, especially in my uh, uh, young adulthood when I worked in the fields of uh, mental health. Um, Jung provided the first map to my soul that I could uh, explore, uh, so I'm forever grateful to him. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think that he, you know, one of the things, and this is, of course, one of the problems um, or one of the challenges would be a better way to put it about theurgy, which we've talked about a little bit before, is that when you're doing a theurgical operation, you're typically communicating with your personal daimons and um, perhaps uh, through them communicating with the archetypal gods and goddesses. And so um, any sorts of insights or revelations that we get, uh, we often have a challenge then of disentangling the stuff that's more relevant to us personally as individuals and the things that have more universal significance. And this is uh, what uh, Jung had to do, and and of course his, his colleagues too, but especially Jung himself, was to try and disentangle these two different aspects of the, uh, uh, I would say, the revelations that he received. But this is, you know, the case for all of us, I think, too, that some of some of the insights we gain and some of the, the communications we receive are strictly personal, having to do with our psychological development, our spiritual uh, progress, and others are, um, uh, if you like, um, more relevant to, to everybody or to, to groups of people, to larger groups of people, to societies, or to communities, or to groups, and, and, and so forth. 
that's one of the issues that I've been uh, tackling with. Uh, as you know, uh, I have a, a workshop that I've been running for several years now on living theurgy um, up in uh, the Amber Dragon, which is a metaphysical center uh, in northwestern New Jersey. I reside in northeastern New Jersey. Uh, so we only have it once a month, but it's been going on for a while now. And uh, um, we've actually recently completed an entire cycle of everything I'd planned to uh, to teach them. So now we're repeating the cycle and uh, kind of structuring it a bit better. Because uh, the first time around was a, a journey you know, that we're all taking and uh, uh, exploring uh, various things in various ways. And now... Uh, it's basically just replicating the experience. So uh, we're entering that particular uh, phase and uh, they love your books. I've used your books, uh, all of your books um, as uh, required reading or recommended reading. And um, they're very excited about uh, speaking to each of you and asking questions uh, directly. That's something we'd spoken of before. So uh, I'm ready to start uh, setting that up uh, beginning in August. Um, and uh, also they were willing to write reviews of the book. So uh, what we'll be doing is we're picking a book a month, and this way they could reread it or, or refresh their reading, and then we'll be asking questions about it and then posting reviews. Uh, does that sound good to all of you? Perfect. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Okay. And I started honoring – That's a rough you. pace. <laughs> book, book I'm sorry? Month. That sounds like a lot like... – a book a month sounds like a rough pace for them. <laughs> we don't well, we don't write we, light books. <laughs> we, we've read these books before, so it'd be kind of rereading okay. the, the book. So That's it's good. kind of like a month before we familiarize yourself with the book and then ask questions. So, they, but they've already read the books uh, during the course of uh, our journey together, and I've started honoring all of you. I'm honoring uh, one of you uh, every week. Um, and uh, um, posting as many links as I possibly can. If you'd like me to add any links or you know that I haven't included, uh, please let me know. And as I go through the rotation, uh, I will uh, include them. This week is Bruce's week, and I'm also going to uh, uh, post a John Upsopaus uh, honoring during the same week, and then it'll be uh, Jean-Louis uh, for next week. Uh, and then uh, a few people whose books we've been using who don't identify themselves as theurgists per se, but their works are very theurgical and fit in well with uh, uh, the books that you've uh, written. And then I'll just keep repeating that <laughs> to draw attention to all the wonderful things that you're doing. So if you have any news, uh, like, uh, for instance, the most recent one was uh, uh, Brandy's speaker page, uh, I will gladly... Uh, um, you know, uh, post uh, something to draw attention to that as well, and then I'll include it in subsequent posts. So uh, um, anything that you have to promote uh, as a service to theurgy and in appreciation for, um, you know, this journey that we're all taking together, uh, I will gladly promote you to the full extent of my ability. I want to thank Tony for showing me how to do things I didn't know how to do to increase the uh, reach, and also the Cat Sanborn. Uh, uh, as well. So as I learn how to become better at promoting the show, I'll be uh, uh, using our theurgy cycle uh, first, you know, to, to get that done uh, quickest. Cool. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you very much. Okay. My, my pleasure and my honor. And um, 
Would you guys like to start with uh, theurgic uh, activism, and then we'll go into stoicism after the break? Uh, is are there any other topics that you'd like to cover tonight? I I think that'll probably keep us quite busy for the two hours. Okay. <laughs> Jean Louis had one, but he's not here, so um, when he comes, yes. he can do it. That, that that those are my thoughts exactly. Um, okay, I was very very uh, proud of uh, Brandy and all that she's been doing. Um, you know, uh, with uh, in the community and on a very visible uh, uh, scale, uh, and I've been following that with uh, great interest. Would you care to share uh, what you've been up to, Brandy? Um, yeah, it's been really a busy month, and and the reason is the the very tragic news that's coming out of the border about um, the children being separated from their parents and being put in uh, detention. Um, so. I, I led an action that went to the local representative's office and asked him to stop funding for uh, the detention centers. And that action was huge. <laughs> it, it, was a, it, it was a three-day turnaround. Uh, I, it was through MoveOn. Um, I'm a MoveOn trained activist. So they, they, they asked me to um, – I, I stepped up and organized it for my local community. And we, um, the day I put it up, there were eight people – um, the night before there were 30, the, the day of there were 60 and 90 people showed up. So it was like a lot more people than any of us yeah. expected. Um, so I did that. Um, then there were, there's been a, a bunch of actions. The, the most significant one, the, the kind of scariest one was when we went down, um, I, I went with a friend to the Tacoma Detention Center. Uh, Northwest Detention Center is what it's called. It's what, um, if anybody gets picked up on the West Coast, they're, they're brought to this detention center and it's in my local area in Tacoma. So I went down wow. there um, and, and met with some of the activists there, and the police were there, um, parked, parked police cars, looking at us the whole time. So I, I texted my Diksha Guru and said, I need some backup, and he, he chanted to Kali the whole time I was there, which was very nice. It was very helpful. Um, but I said, you know what? I need to get more backup. I mean, I, I really need to, to start, start letting people know ahead of time that, that we need this, and I need a lot more infrastructure around how I get into this stuff and how I get back out of it because it's enormously emotionally taxing. And in the case of the Northwest Detention Center, it's built on a Superfund site. So there was a toxic miasma that was both physical and spiritual. And we, um, my, my friend and I um, went home and um, showered with Tibetan salt and started writing rituals for how to protect ourselves and then how to, um, how to get the actions off of us when we come home. So that's why I was really interested in, in talking to you, um, all of you, because you've got some really good ideas and we can really use them. That is incredibly awesome and, and, and it's very much needed. Uh, thank you for doing that for all of us and for the folks that are uh, being uh, uh, detained and having their, their lives and their families uh, t torn apart. Um, I was not able to yeah. attend an actual uh, a demonstration, but I contacted every single representative uh, um, I had on all levels, including our governor's office, uh, and uh, expressed my uh, uh, concerns uh, because we have five detention centers here in New Jersey. And uh, although some Sorry. of the wow. folks I spoke to 
to, yes. Some of the folks I spoke to were kind of like, oh, okay, uh, they took my information and uh, they will let the governor or whoever know that uh, I feel the way I said I've been feeling. Uh, but a few of them, uh, I got to speak to the representative in person or to uh, one of their aides, uh, and they were very concerned about uh, the situation also, and they shared a lot of uh, information. And uh, I asked them all how it can, you know, because I know the power in calling representatives, um, but uh, mm-hmm. how can I do it more effectively? And, uh, you know, I learned things like uh, for the, on the governor's level, if you complain, uh, you can call and it in and they'll note it. But unless you actually write it out, email is okay. It doesn't really count for very much <laughs> other than uh, right. making the person aware that people feel this way. Oh, that's great. That's super, Hercules. Uh, Tony's also been getting more and more uh, uh, verbal in his con- concerns, and it's been reflected on his uh, Facebook pages uh, a lot. Tony, do you want to share uh, what you've been doing? Um, I'm a little bit embarrassed by how little I've been doing compared to you guys. I've been basically watching from the sidelines, um, signing petitions whenever they come up. But um, I haven't actually had my, my boots on the ground like Brandy has. I mean, I'm absolutely blown away by what Brandy's been doing. But yeah. one thing that really strikes me about the whole situation is um, I come from Australia and we're a signatory to the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner Convention on the Rights of the Child. And one of the things that that states is that it is in the, it is in the best interest of the child to have access to both parents. Now, the thing is, we would never separate children from their parents. And that was actually, um, that, would, that would lead to some abuse because you'd have people marrying an Australian citizen. And once there was a child, then that person could argue that they wanted access to their child and therefore they shouldn't be deported. But the, the point was that we would never think of separating children from their parents. So... I'm absolutely horrified by what's happening in this country, that children are being forcibly separated from their parents, and I probably shouldn't be drawing parallels between what's happening here and what happened in Nazi Germany, but it was much, much the same thing there. Um, Children should be with their parents. There are cases of um, children whose behavior is stunted as a result of being deprived of access to their parents, being even, even very basic things like being hugged, being loved. You can't yeah. deprive a child of that. And um, we, we really need to, to remain on top of this, remain, remain vigilant, and reunite the children with their parents. That is, that is in their best interests. I, I can't believe that we're just launching international law like this. It, it, is, very, uh, it, it is very shocking what is going on, and... Uh, um, a, a lot of times th- this whole situation feels unreal. It's as if we're uh, uh, in another universe uh, suddenly. Yes, very much so. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And you, you're doing more than you give yourself credit uh, for because you're continuously trying to raise people's awareness uh, through your posts. Uh, you share a lot of information and you're not shy about uh, sharing how you feel about these things uh, personally. So I think that you're doing an awesome job. Thank you. 
Yeah, second. Yeah, that's very important. It's important to make the phone calls. It's important to do the online activism as well as going out in the street. And it's also important just to support the people who are doing the action. So we're all very active um, and and all of it is very important. But if if people don't want to do these things, they can also just um, just support the people who are even by praying for us or or lighting candles for us. That's really important. So, yeah, I I really appreciate it, Tony. I, I see your activism and I really appreciate it. As do I. You're, you're awesome, Tony. And uh, Bruce, you are the uh, you are the elder here. And uh, I recently yeah. learned from one of Brandy's posts that you are our first uh, instructor. So thank you for doing that, because uh, Brandy uh, is uh, a fountain of awesome ideas, and uh, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her suggestions. Um, so in, in the greater context of uh, theurgy, uh, both ancient and uh, modern, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, um, theurgic activism? Well, I think, I, you know, and I have to also uh, apologize for not doing more um, on the street activism uh, recently, at least. Um, but um, I'm certainly uh, you know, doing my part from from home what I can. Mm-hmm. And um, because this, as you said, we live in unreal times. I mean, there's the stuff that's going on is stuff that we never expected would go on in this country. We probably never expected that we'd be discussing some of these problems in the 21st century. And um, it's just, um, it's just almost difficult to believe. And, I, and, and from that standpoint, I think, you know, that, that there are, if you like, archetypal forces in motion. And um, we're seeing, we're seeing some of that. Um, so I think, you know, that, that um, we need, our activism needs to, uh, you know, cross all of the realms that, um, you know, theurgy is a very um, spiritual sort of practice. I mean, it's a way of interacting with uh, the deities and that's uh, essential and important. And I think has to be the core of what we do. Uh, and, and because that's where we, that's, first of all, we find out, you know, and be, better understand the processes that are going on, what we can do about them, and um, get our inspiration in, in the broadest sense of that word. But on the other hand, you know, we, we also are embodied beings living on this earth in the United States in the 21st century. And so we have to uh, take account of that, too. So this is, that's where it's important to, you know, be on, be on the streets uh, phone our representatives, um, visit our representatives when that's possible, and um, work through various sorts of organizations to to um, basically move things in the right direction. And uh, all of that, I think, is is critical. It's not enough to just, you know, do our theurgy and say, well, that's, that's uh, I've done my bit. And I would say, you know, between those two extremes, you know, we often contrast theurgy with thaumaturgy and say, well, you know, theurgy, uh, we're working um, for some sort of uh, divine ends, whereas thaumaturgy, we're working for more uh, practical ends, often more egotistical ends. But I think here also that, as Brandy suggested, with um, um, uh, purification rituals and protective and shielding rituals, things like this, 
uh, this is in service of the gods, but it's also, it's more embodied, it's more earthly, it's more practical. And, um, you know, as you mentioned also, the some of the Stoic um, spiritual practices, uh, they're very much about effectiveness in this world. And so I think it's it's really essential here that we, we um, you know, are, are, are bringing our theurgy down to earth and um, using it to, to make this, uh, our lives and the lives of everybody uh, better on this planet. So I think that's, you know, really, uh, the, you know, that's the essence of theurgical activism and of, of practical theurgy is it's not just about our personal uh, spiritual development. Um, it's, it's about uh, making the world a better place. Very well and powerfully said. Thank you. Um, as uh, in addition to talking about these topics and sharing our, our thoughts and our expertise and our experiences, um, is there any way we can incorporate like, like the practice on social media? Like, for instance, uh, uh, whenever people contact me, um, about uh, prayer, you know, I will I will post the prayer request and and people respond uh, to it uh, generally. Um, and is there any way we can incorporate that like into our posts on social media? Because all of us have a uh, a wide range of contacts on social media, uh, and that is how people kind of interact <laughs> in this uh, day and age. So um, these uh, prayers for the people who are uh, performing uh, uh, deeds of activism and for the people who are uh, affected by the things that are going on, uh, would it help to post something like once a week or once every few days? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm trying to think, uh, uh, in, in addition to calling representatives and speaking to representatives and visiting them and uh, uh, going whenever I'm able to a demonstration, um, there must be more that I can do. I started writing articles for our borough's uh, newsletter, um, not on this particular issue, but uh, uh, here there's a deer and bear problem, um, or that's how they're describing it, and it's going to lead to lots of uh, bloodshed uh, on, you know, for the animals. So I'm trying to do something about uh, that. So I wrote an article about that, but I will certainly write an article about this and uh, get it published uh, locally and try to inspire local people. But is there any way we could do something jointly on, on social media? Yeah, there is. So um, am I, am I still unmuted? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I can again? hear you. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, I do, I do a lot of stuff on social media and I'll tell you the, some of the things I'm doing now. So one of the things I do is write, um, prayers. I put them on my own blog and on Pathios and I kind of tend to post them, but it's a good idea. Hercules, you've got a really nice channel. If you can repost them, that's an, that's an awesome idea. Um, then okay. I wanted to say this to just people on this, this channel. I have a private Slack channel that I call magic activist. And I, uh, if people want to join it, they can write brand at brandywilliamsauthor.com. I'm screening people who jump on it because what we're doing there is saying, I'm going out to an action. Can you pray for me? And I don't want trolls or people who would, you know, right. then know where we're going. Um, so there's that. Um, I, I have a, a new press, Red Serpent Press, and the, <laughs> we're scrambling to get our webpage up so we can put up a call for um, for rituals. We want to just issue a, a quick and dirty ebook, um, and we're hoping to do that by by um, 
we'll see the end of uh, end of September because we can do a fast turnaround on that. And what we want to do is collect rituals and rites that are around this, around activism, specifically around the children, but just in general too, how you get in and out of actions. Um, so I'll, I'll post that. Um, and I think it's not, it's really not a bad idea to, to repost that for each other. I don't know if we need to create a new thing, um, but, but um, reposting each other's efforts is good. And finally, that, that hashtag magic activist, you can use it with the C or with the K. I, I use both, but I, I, I kind of tend to standardize on K because it kind of um, differentiates it from stage magic. I thought about theurgic activist, but um, with, my, with deep apologies to the company, a lot of people don't know what that is. Right. <laughs> I just went with magic activist, right? And, and uh, so that's why that's why I um, I did that. So whenever any of us do anything, if we put that hashtag on it, then we can um, go back and collect the efforts that people are making under that under that um, umbrella. That sounds incredibly awesome. If you can include that information in a personal message or an email, uh, yeah. because how I absorb information <laughs> and act on it uh, best, that would be actually the best way if I can look at it while I'm uh, I'm doing something. Uh, I will definitely share uh, what you posted and post links to uh, uh, to all of those things. I'll put them on a schedule. So like every couple of weeks, uh, um, it'll be okay. there. If something new comes out, it'll be there. And, and this way I can share it with the folks who uh, congregate on uh, Facebook and I'm starting to move uh, back into LinkedIn. And after that, I'm aiming for Instagram uh, or Twitter. So uh, I'm going to be expanding my social uh, media circle. So uh, uh, I would love to do that. Oh, that's great. I have one more thing, too. I have a Pathios blog, Pathios Star and Snake. Um, and if any of you want to write a guest post and say something that you're doing with theurgic activism, that's what I'm talking about lately, um, I'm happy to take it and post it. I'll send you all a link. Um, I, I had awesome. uh, Gordon Cooper, who is the arch, uh, uh, let's get this right, the Grand Druid. Arch Druid of the Ancient Order of Druidry in America, <laughs> um, awesome. did a, did a um, guest post. Um, so, so if you if you want to do a guest post, um, by all means do that, and I'll I'll put it up. Most certainly, I will take you up on that. Thank you. Awesome. Tony, what are your thoughts? Social media is incredibly important this, these days. We're living in a world where people spend virtually all their time on social media. Um, back in the day, you'd see people going off, having lunch with friends, or even going downstairs and having a smoke with friends. These days, people go out and they're on their cell phones. So mm -hmm. it stands to reason if you want to get a message out, you use social media. Um, Facebook is still the largest platform in the world. You can contact the largest number of people in the world using Facebook. However, it's basically older people like us who focus on Facebook. The yes. younger crowd, the millennials and the like, they tend to prefer Instagram. Whereas Twitter, well, Twitter seems to be used universally, even our our um our president seems to um enjoy yeah. using Twitter. Probably probably way way more than any of us would want to see him use it. But anyway, that's that's the way it goes. But getting a message out um through social media is, is incredibly important. And also with the articles that you're writing, make sure that there are electronic versions available and give links to them. And I'm more than happy to, to promote anything that anyone's doing of an activist nature or even a promotional awesome. nature if, if anyone has a book out. And I think if, if we all support each other that way, 
because um, all of us have have our networks and we can we can get the word out to lots of people. Um, but it's important that that things be um, short and snappy and preferably emotive, um, because that's the sort of stuff that that people tend to tend to respond to most. Very true. Thank you so very much, Tony. And Bruce, what are your thoughts? Well, um, those are those are all very good suggestions, and um, I um, um, have not been so active on social media, although I, I do have uh, Facebook accounts. But because um, I've tended, being sort of an academic at heart, to basically uh, do sort of the, the longer form um, means of communication. Um, so these are, um, you know, just a reminder to me that I need to uh, um, get back into uh, putting putting some of the material and some suggestions online. I certainly think, you know, that um, posting uh, rituals is a is a good idea. Um, you know, many people have their own sorts of rituals that they they know how to do, but it's also a good idea to basically say, here's a, you know, a protection ritual for for these people that are going to be um, uh, involved in this action, for example, you know, use it if you like, modify it if you like, or use your own. But I think giving some people a, a suggesting uh, a ritual format, I think, is uh, is helpful to many people because uh, then uh, then all I have to do is to is to do it. So I think that's uh, probably a very good suggestion, and and um, I think we we do need to do this. You know, we need to. Um, all of us, we can't all be everywhere. We can't all be addressing every issue, but right. um, we can at least lend our support. Um, and um, and I think that keeps people engaged too. And it also, in a way, it you know, there's uh, there's just a lot of um, whatever you want to call it um, um, outrage fatigue. You know that that um, it just seems. There's so many issues. There's a new problem every day, and um, uh, you know it seems like in many ways it's we're just making very little progress on many of these things. And so I think people just get discouraged, and that breeds hopelessness and, and eventually uh, um, surrender, basically. So I think you know we need to uh, keep people involved and um, seeing that they can do something in a variety of different ways, uh, you know, focusing on this issue or that issue more perhaps, but also keeping the others in view as well. Because they all hang together. I mean, we, we know that yes. as well too. Those are very good uh, points. And uh, um, yesterday on uh, the show, uh, it's my political show on uh, Wednesdays usually, or my optimal wellness show, uh, I was talking to one of our local uh, councilmen who's running for uh, mayor. And uh, I asked him a question, and I told him that I'm asking this for the education of our listeners, but also for me personally, that uh, I'm at a point now where uh, I feel like a very small piece of butter on a very huge loaf of bread. So uh, I feel that there's more that I should be doing or could be doing, but I think my focus is uh, very diffused because I'm trying to do t uh, too many things. Um, and so it feels like I'm not doing anything, even though I'm continuously busy uh, and involved. So uh, I, I guess part of my uh, 
path, this uh, particular point is uh, um, letting go of things because you're right. We can't be everywhere. We can't do everything. So ultimately and eventually we have to find uh, which parts of the world we'd like to uh, uh, focus our uh, love and attention on to try to improve. So uh, it is very important to support other people who are focusing their time and energy on something else because we can't do it alone. You know, we have to rely on each other. So any way that we can find to support each other, that would be phenomenally well, including supporting each other. If anybody has uh, um, a uh, uh, GoFundMe or something for one of their initiatives, uh, I would be more than happy to list that uh, as well and to you know ask people uh, uh, fairly often to, to give something. I do it with our local library, which is my Athenaeum. I wanted to mention also, uh, Hercules, that you know, this, I think, is one realm in where, where theurgy can help us, too. There are all of these different problems we can be addressing, but this is where you can go to the gods and say, okay, which one of these is my mission? Which one of these is the one that's most important for me to be spending my time? Or which few, you know? And um, I think, uh, you know, where we can be most effective and um, um have the greatest chance of success. And I think, you know, this is something, you know, we obviously should just think about it um, rationally and in terms of uh, our awareness of our capabilities and so forth. But I think getting some divine guidance on this also can help us choose where to really, where we should be focusing our efforts. That is a very good point and and advice very well worth uh, taking. I've been uh, meditating on it. And uh, the messages I've been getting uh, through my meditations have been phenomenally uh, helpful in uh, in focusing on the, uh, of all these things. Where uh, where is the greatest resonance? Where can I best apply uh, uh, all the things I've acquired in life, all the skills, all the talents, all the interests, and and use them most effectively to address a particular problem? Uh, thank you. And uh, um, we'll go around to Brandy. Is there anything you'd like to add to what Bruce and Tony had said? Actually, it's wonderful to hear um, all of us talking. And I was thinking as I as I talked that it helps whenever um, any of us do in action to take a picture and then put it up on all the media. Um, so I, I post simultaneously to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the more that people see that, the more um, they are inspired themselves to to stay um, to to stay sort of emotionally engaged because as Bruce said, we're feeling very overwhelmed and this is a deliberate strategy. Um, I, I know people, activists who are not sleeping right now because there is so much to do. There's so much to respond to and it's hard to, to sort which, which need is most urgent. I personally have just focused on the children because that feels really urgent to me. Um, but yeah, if we if we take pictures and post them, just you can even do that without leaving your house. You make a sign um, and then do a selfie. People will respond to faces interestingly. So, so um, you'll see, I, I forget what, um, I, I took a picture last night. I was at the um, a city, city council meeting where um, uh, the, the police had 
killed a Native American man at a Fourth of July picnic amongst a bunch of kids. It was really bad. Um, so I took a picture of myself with the, the sign that says we're standing up for him and just put that up. Um, that's really helpful. And as, as uh, I'm glad Tony's our social media expert. <laughs> as Tony said, um, it's really important to use Instagram and, and Twitter. And I'm eventually going to get to Tumblr. I, I'm not there yet, but I think we need to investigate that too. Thank you very much, Tony. Um, there's one issue I'd, I'd like to explore. We've sort of touched on it very briefly, um, the idea of self-care for people engaging in activism. Um, Brandy wrote a very inspiring um, anecdote about what she was engaged in, and she mentioned part of it um, just a few minutes ago where she was talking about how she felt apprehensive about a situation that she was in and um, her friend was there invoking Carly, and then at the end of the episode, um, they then washed with, um, she called it Tibetan salt. I, I don't know mm -hmm. if Tibetan salt is different to, to Himalayan salt or not, but I just thought it might not be a bad idea to talk about, um, well, as, as Bruce called it, um, protection rituals, psychic shielding and the like. Yeah, perhaps we could talk about that for a few minutes, you know, just flesh That's that a awesome. little bit, give, give ideas. Give ideas. Um, I don't know if you want me to start or if you want someone else to start, but I just think you know it might be worth worthwhile for us to discuss just psychic protection 101. You brought it to the conversation, so I, I'd love it if you can uh, elaborate and you can start, and then we'll go to Bruce and uh, Brandy. Okay. Um, the primary means of psychic self-defense that we have is the aura, and I've read that. Alistair Crowley's aura was so dense that he never got bitten by mosquitoes. I would oh, love to get to that stage, Me too. but um, <laughs> I, I've, I, I've, I've never quite gotten there. So basically every psychic shielding technique is based around strengthening the aura. So some people will, um, they'll visualize themselves inside a bubble or a sphere, some sort of geometric shape that they resonate with. They can experiment around with various colors. But the end result of all those meditative techniques is to strengthen the aura. Um, people will call in either, either guides or gods, um, something which um, they resonate with. The thing is, this is an art. Um, so you have to find what works for you. It's a matter of experimenting. Those who have a ceremonial bent might find themselves using the lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram. Um, if if um, Jean Louis was here, he could he could detail um, what the Orem Solus do. They have their own variant on the lesser banishment of the pentagram. Um, in in my book, Greco Egyptian Magic, I have um, an abbreviated opening rite, which I refer to as calling the seventh, and that lends itself to a to a um, a protective ritual as well. You can visualize yourself as being protected in in three dimensions. Um, but again, the thing with any sort of psychic shield that you set up, it can only be undermined by negativity. So if you have any sort of fear or apprehension, that will cause a chink in your armor. So once you have your psychic shield set up, it's important to believe that it is 100% effective in, in dispelling any sort, of, any sort of psychic attacks that you may come under. And that way it'll stand and, and protect you. So, again, the idea is I've thrown a lot of ideas out there. 
and uh, it's a matter for uh, people to experiment with those ideas and find what resonates with them, find what makes them feel safe so that when they go out there um, on the streets demonstrating, they feel that at least they're, they're psychically safe, that they're, they're, they're safe from, from um, spiritual influences. Um, and, and obviously, if you're doing any sort of ritual work um, at home, it's important to do um, some sort of banishing ritual before you start. And, and again, it's a matter of finding what resonates with you. So it's sort of a, a long-winded um, um, introduction, I suppose. It, it's a very thorough and uh, comprehensive introduction. Uh, thank you, uh, Tony. I, as you were talking, I was thinking about the things that I do every day as part of my uh, routine. And there's a couple of things I do that with some slight modification uh, would you know, basically in- include uh, uh, psychic protection more powerfully uh, into my routine. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing I, I forgot to mention is some people work with mirrors. So they visualize themselves surrounded by mirrors and the mirrors reflect anything that comes off them. Um, other people have worked with, with suits of gold. They visualize themselves in a gold suit and, and that again is supposed to reflect anything. There are all sorts of techniques out there so it's a matter of exploring. So sorry to jump in again. No, no, no. The, I, one of the things I base one of my practices on, uh, there was an inscription found when uh, Iraklis was still uh, um, actively uh, uh, a, uh, a force in people's uh, hearts. I believe it was found in a workshop, but it was a protective uh, um, ritual written near doorway. And uh, it was in Greek. It was Enthave uh, Katiki. And it roughly translates into uh, Herein dwells the son of Zeus, the victor um, Hercules. Nothing ill may enter. So uh, I have uh, a bunch of things I've integrated with my exercises and things. So using that as the base, uh, I'll add to it and play with it until I have something that works uh, effectively for me. So thank you very much for suggesting it. Um, Bruce. Yes. So I I think um, Tony's suggestions were very good. Um, And uh, in fact, I was going to bring up the fact that um, it's often effective to to in the in the visualization processes you use to strengthen the aura to to um, visualize it as a reflective shield. Um, so uh, effectively, any negativity gets reflected back at its at its source. And um, some people actually don't like that idea. They think that that's also a little bit too aggressive. And so they may um, construct the shield in such a way that any negative energy gets diffused and kind of grounded out into the earth where it can be transformed uh, into something good. So again, as, as, as Tony said, I think you have to uh, experiment with some of these things and find out what works for you. But, but the general idea of, of constructing a three-dimensional protective uh, uh, sphere or, or, or egg or whatever you want to visualize it around you is, is uh, fundamental. And if you think about it, it's what's often done in various sorts of ceremonial magic where you construct a magic circle, which basically uh, keeps out negative energies and, and, and concentrates and focuses positive energies with inside. And you're just extending that. You're making it portable because especially if you're involved in some sort of action, you're not in a ritual space. You're out, you're out in, the, in the perhaps very messy real world, uh, you know, like a toxic 
super fun side, as Randy said. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is is exactly what you alluded to, uh, Hercules, and that is um, we should also uh, construct uh, amulets or talismans. And uh, I've often used uh, exactly the uh, the formula that you just described, invoking Hercules for protection. Um, all of our pantheons have protective gods and goddesses um, within the uh, uh Greek pantheon, uh, Heracles, of course, is one. Uh, Ares is another good one. Athena, I think, is very good. And um, um, I, so I think it's certainly appropriate to invoke those deities and even to have an agreed-upon, I would say, theurgical symbol for invoking your protective deities that you can do either on the spot or in preparation for uh, a situation that you may be going into. And um, in addition to that, if you're preparing for a situation like that, to have, um, you know, some sort of protective amulets uh, as well. Again, this this just strengthens uh, essentially the mental construction of the field. It reinforces that belief that Tony was talking about. But I think it's very important to, uh, you know, to um, to know that you've got the protection of that deity uh, represented in that in that in that physical object. I mean, one of the things that distinguishes theurgy from some theor- other spiritual practices is it's based on materials. It's based on physical actions and physical objects. So we construct um, physical symbols in many cases with with uh, gems and with metals and with plants and flowers and fruit uh, and uh, statues and things like that because these things also contain this divine energy and can be used to, uh, to activate it uh, in our environment. And so I think that applies also when we're applying some of these techniques to, uh, you know, to, to things like shielding. Thank you very much. That, that's a lot to uh, think about and uh, consider. Uh, as uh, you and Tony were uh, uh, sharing all this information, I was thinking of uh, – um, a ritual that could also be uh, adopted uh, uh, based on the wearing of the golden reflective uh, clothing. Uh, there's something in the New Testament, I believe, called the armor of God. And this could be very easily yeah. uh, modified uh, to uh, include all the uh, uh, breastplates and helmets and sandals and, and things that the Greek heroes or the Greek gods wore. Um, especially some of the more famous uh, items that made it into the mythology and are still remembered. So that might be an interesting experiment uh, to try. Absolutely. And last but not least, uh, before we get to break, Brandy? (laughs) Yes, um, that was a wonderful set of ideas, everyone. And I was thinking that um, my my, um, book, Practical Magic for Beginners, has a lot of information about building personal shields and the kinds of stones and things you can use for talismans. So as I was doing this work this week, I said, you know, it's been a while. Let's go dig dig through the, the charm box. And I grabbed a carnelian bracelet that is easy to put on 
carnelian is for me a really protective stone and so it's ben makes a little ritual i charge the bracelet i put it on before i leave the house i take it off when i come home and i put it in a bowl of water um tibetan salt was just himalayan salt i just have this um tibetan salt lamp that <laughs> that gives off salt so i collect that and use it right so that's why i said tibetan salt um so yeah so you can mm. use um amulets and you can look at my book um and the armor of the gods is a really great thing because I, I need to write this ritual. I, I keep promising it to you guys each each month. Um, there's a, a kavak that I use that uses all the Olympians, um, and I, uh, uh, kavak is armor. And that's a really good um, that's a really good idea. Using armor is great. But I'm going to do a really quick and dirty one. With um, in in the Thelemic world, we have the the deity Rocker Queet, who is um, a form of Horus. And so you can visualize Horus behind you and visualize Horus um, putting his wings around you and protecting you. And so I'm going to put that up um, as, a, as a ritual for Thelemites to protect us. You can see that as you leave the house, and then um, you can leave it again when you, you um, come in the door. So that's, um, that's my, my, um, my personal additions to everyone's really wonderful suggestions. <laughs> that is awesome and uh um if you send links i'll definitely post uh, those i'll definitely read them and uh, practice them as well um everybody had such really phenomenal uh, suggestions um we're near our break time and uh before we go there we have a few minutes so i'd like to revisit everyone and of all the things that we touched upon uh for the first half of the show in terms of uh, theurgic uh, activism or magical activism. Uh, is there anything anybody would like to uh, add to that uh, topic uh, before break uh, when we'll move to uh, stoicism? Brandy? Do whatever you can. I, I know that um, we, we are all very active and that's uh, we're, we're serving as examples. And I know that there are people who say to me, you know, I just can't do this stuff. Um, so that's why I'm focusing on the rituals because I, when I say theurgic activism, they go, can I pray? I'm like, yes, you can totally pray. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a, uh, the, the most important thing. Do, do anything that you can, even just, you know, do a little, a little, light a little candle for whatever cause it is that you're, you're doing. Um, mine's the children, right? So, um, that do do whatever you can at your level and and understand that that's that's an important contribution. Thank you very much, Tony. Um, I was just going to um, amplify what I was talking about the importance of visualization. I talked about how important visualization was when engaging in psychic self-defense, but even little things like Brandy was talking about um, washing with Himalayan salt, scrubbing all, all the negativity off. Again, you have to incorporate visualization into it. So you visualize all the negativity on you um, being scrubbed off and then, and then going down, going down the sink. Um, so it, it doesn't, it can't affect you negatively again. Um, also things like, um, lighting candles, always incorporate visualization with that. And I think even if you're uploading things online, it might not hurt to incorporate a bit of visualization with that. Just say a little prayer as you send it off and you hope that it gets out to as many people, not so much as many people as possible, but to the right people, that the right people see it, the right people being those people who are going to act on the information that you put out there. They'll, they'll feel the information in their heart and think, well, this is unacceptable. I have to act on this. And at the moment, we're, we're dealing with the children who have been separated from their parents. They're going to think, no, this is absolutely wrong. And, um, and they will join us in, in our quest in, um, in improving things for, for the kids out there. 
that is awesome. Thank you very much, Bruce. I I think all I can add to that is, um, you know, we're all in the same boat. So um, just um, we need to talk to each other and we need to share ideas. You know, if somebody tells you that how bummed out or how much their energy was drained after after uh, doing something, then, you know, give them some suggestions. Well, did you try this? Well, I didn't work. How about trying this? And just, um, you know, keep talking to each other and and sharing ideas uh, for all of these different um, things and um, supporting each other, each other that way. And doing it online, I think, is a fabulous idea, but um, also just face to face, too, when when the you know, people are getting together to plan an action or, or some other uh, um, activity or or doing a post-mortem on it. I think it's important to just um, share share techniques. You know, these are these are experimental art that we're employing, and um, we have different ways of doing it. And um, you know, we so we just have to try and find out what works, and then share those insights with with our uh, with our other friends. Excellent ideas, and I think we've given folks a toolkit in the here and now that uh, they could uh, start and run with uh, um, until they hook up with uh, all the other things that are happening. Um, As everybody was talking, I was thinking, um, lately I've been focusing on, uh, like, trying to accentuate the positive as well as uh, tackling the, uh, the challenge. And uh, I've been giving out awards, like, for instance, with uh, people who are doing something with nature, uh, I proclaim them champions of Arcadia. And now we're getting certificates and things like that. Uh, And here in my local community, I'm the champion of optimal wellness for uh, the mayor's uh, wellness campaign and also for uh, the interior tenafly and the Creskill Public uh, Library. I think I'm the champion of wellness there. Uh, I don't remember the exact title. Uh, but part of uh, what I've been doing is uh, because, again, we can't do everything. And to acknowledge that a lot of people care um, is uh, awarding people with awards. Is there something as theurgist? Uh, it, it won't be an actual organization for a while, but can we create something and then uh, give awards as a theurgist or as a theurgical body uh, to people who are going above and beyond? Because uh, I, I was thinking uh, that would also allow us to um, recognize, uh, like, religious organizations. Like, here in uh, Creskill, there's a Congregationalist church that's very progressive. Uh, and they do everything from holding vigils for the detainees to gathering uh, uh, food for food shelters. Uh, uh, and they're also very uh, open about uh, uh, allowing groups to believe different things and not their... Uh, congregationalism to hold their services in their church, which is really quite large. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking of giving them like an award, but is is there something like, would something that be helpful and also put theurgy more on the, uh, the map of people's awareness? I think that's a great idea, and I, I really love that you're doing it, Hercules. Um, and I know from the Kitsap County Council for Human Rights, we give an award every year to someone in the community who's really made a difference in the human rights area. And it really well, helps a lot to have um, an organization do it. So we might continue to have that conversation about we're lurching towards having some sort of fellowship. 
Um, and it doesn't have to be more formal than that, right? But that's not. It's it's nice when um, when you have an organization. So right now you're doing it is probably a really good idea because you sort of have this um, um, vehicle to do it. And if you want if you want me to sign on or if you want us to sign on, we can do that and, and sign our names to it. I'd love to. That would be awesome. Tony, what do you think? Um, just further to what Brandy was saying, um, I think what you'd really have to do is to say that you're the head of um, a formal theurgic organization. And like Brandy, I'm happy to sign on as well. You can ask your students to sign on and set up this organization, say that you represent um, a, a small or hopefully large body of theurgists. And then as head of that organization, you can say that the organization um, acknowledges the efforts of, of, in this case, it's a particular church in, in doing what they're doing. That way, you're not acknowledging as an individual, you're acknowledging those efforts as the representative of a theurgic body. And uh, I actually think it's quite exciting to get an organization of theurgists together. Um, just It starts off informally, and who knows where it will lead. Awesome. Thank you, and uh, that's excellent, and uh, I'll start working on it right away. Uh, Bruce? Yes, I agree. I, I think it would be a, a, an excellent idea, and I'm, I'm all for it, too. Um, I don't think that should stop us, though, uh, in the meantime, for just as individuals also. When we see somebody right. that's really done something worthwhile to just yeah. say, by the way, you know, I really appreciate what you did. Uh, I think that's very important. But I, but I agree that, you know, having a group and having it be an official um, action or from the from the group, I think, is um, carries more weight. You're, you're right. People, uh, again, I, I never like totally understood this, uh, but I, I've noticed that people are enamored of uh, titles. Uh, and if you have a title, um, they, they tend to react better, especially if you're not the one who gave yourself the titles. So uh, I think it would be helpful for all of us if we wanted to raise the kind of awareness uh, to do something like that. And in this way, again, theurgy would be there in their consciousness and uh, um, maybe uh, uh, we can name things as theurgical rather than as magical once uh, the awareness is greater than it currently is. My, my favorite title I ever was given was Witch Queen of the Universe. I like that. First <laughs> <character cog. laughs> it was awesome. It came with a crown and everything. I love it. <laughs> it suits you well. Yeah. Business card made. <laughs> and on that note, we will take a short break. We're going to listen to Brand Kerdorian's King of Dreams, and then our Theurgy Forum will continue. And the board is not letting me play that particular song. So let's try Oracle. There we go.
Caesar And some things that ain't so nice She got something she is up to She got some business to conclude She is older than creation And she ain't got time for fools Do you really want to see Some future in the palm of your hand Tell me what's it gonna be And welcome back to Pride of Olympus. 
Uh, today is the day of our theurgy forum, and our panelists are Brandy Williams, Tony Mirzwicki, and Bruce McLennan, a.k.a. John Opsopas. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hercules. Um, I guess since uh, Bruce brought up this uh, topic, uh, he will be uh, introducing it and uh, establishing the foundation for our subsequent uh, conversation. So the floor is yours, Bruce. Okay, thank you. What got me thinking, actually, Brandy put the idea in my head uh, because um, uh, I believe it was on Facebook or or perhaps somewhere else, she posted – some I think it was uh, six Stoic practices uh, that um, um, some other group had had posted, and um, that would kind of help people involved in theurgic activism. I mean that wasn't the reason it was originally posted, but it got me thinking about it. In fact, in my uh, book, The Wisdom of Hypatia, I organized the book as uh, three degrees of wisdom. And the uh, first degree is Epicurean philosophy. And the last degree, the third degree, is Neoplatonic uh, philosophy, including theurgy. But the second degree is uh, Stoicism. And um, so the reason is that Stoic philosophy has, in fact, a great deal to offer us in terms of mental stability and um, serenity uh, in our socially engaged activities uh, on earth. And so while I believe that, you know, for getting in touch with uh, spiritual realities, we need to go on to theurgy, um, nevertheless, um, in terms of, of, of things like theurgic activism, keeping, keeping um our equanimity in the face of all of the various troubles, and especially in the face of, of when things don't go as well as we like, when we're defeated in some way, uh, I think uh, Stoic philosophy has a lot to offer. And of course, a lot of people, when they hear the Stoicism, uh, if they haven't studied the actual philosophy, they think this is just, you know, kind of suffering uh, without um, complaining, uh, which is not really what it's about at all. Um, and uh, the other thing I think that's important is that, you know, people sometimes say, well, why, why in your book on uh, basically Neoplatonic theurgy do you have this chapter on Stoicism? And uh, in particular, uh, talking about the philosophy of Hypatia. And the reason is that um, in the Roman Empire at the time when Hypatia was, was uh, active, um, Stoicism was just sort of the common philosophy that almost everybody had. So any students coming to Hypatia to learn um, theurgy and other Neoplatonic practices would probably be already practicing Stoics and then looking for something to go beyond that. And that's what the, uh, the theurgy then provided. But um, so, you know, kind of the, the essence of Stoicism is to understand uh, the true sources of our freedom or where our freedom lies and then to um, attach our judgments of good and bad and of success and failure to only to those things in only to those areas where we, we actually have freedom. 
Um, so, um, you know, one of the one of the uh, Stoic sayings says um, it's not so much things that trouble us, but our but our thoughts about things. So it's a matter right. of the way we interpret many things. And so Stoics are very much about understanding what things are in themselves and separating that from our interpretations, um, because our interpretations, of course, may be very important. For example, when we say, well, this is unjust what's being done, or it's cruel, um, or that it's very good, that it's, uh, that it's very benevolent. But uh, we need to separate that so we understand what the thing is in itself and what's our interpretation of it. So the, um, one of the key points, I think, for, um, for theurgic activism is that Stoicism says that, that the only things that are really under our control is our intention to act. So uh, that ultimately the only things that are good in a, in a moral sense are our moral actions. And the only things that are bad in a moral sense are our failures to, to act morally. And so the outcomes of those actions are not in themselves good or bad. Um, they may be desirable or undesirable. And so Stoicism also has a whole theory about um, how we're part of the whole social animal and we should each be doing our own part for the good of the whole. Um, but um, in terms of our actual actions, where our freedom lies is in the present moment deciding how we should act uh, and, and doing that in the way that we understand to be the, the moral action. And so Stoicism would say in that we're completely free and we're also can always be successful. So if we always, because that's the only place where our freedom lies, we can't control the outcomes of events. We can't control other people. We can't control natural phenomena. We might say we can't control the gods. Um, and so, um, but we can control the way we act in the moment. And then based on what happens, uh, then we can uh, make our next moral action. We can decide on what our next moral action should be. And so in that sense, uh, a Stoic can always be satisfied that if they've acted uh, in what they consider to be the right way or the moral way, uh, then, that, then that's, a, that's its own success. And in that sense, they can always be successful in their actions and um, have a certain degree of of serenity in that. And, you know, many of, of our listeners will be familiar with the serenity prayer that Reinhold Niebuhr um, wrote. Um, very, very stoic, at least um, uh, the first part, and I'll read it just in case anyone's not familiar with it. Uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Uh, and then it goes on, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will uh, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. So the last part of that obviously uh, is a more Christian 
interpretation of it. But the, the first part is really uh, pure Stoicism. And the Stoics would go on to say all the things you can change, the only things you can change are really your own actions in the moment. You can't change the past. You can't change the future. You can change your own actions in the moment. And in that, um, and, and, and all else, in a sense, we might say, lies in the laps of the gods. So, you know, the, um, the other aspect of this is, is the Stoics believed that the um, universe had a, had a um, governing rational principle, a logos, uh, which was sort of like the mind of the cosmos uh, that was governing all things in it. And so, um, and that we we were each in effect doing our parts, uh, like the the individual organs or limbs of a giant organism. And um, you know, as he said, you know, uh, sometimes um, you know uh, when you walk, for example, your feet get muddy, but you wouldn't expect your feet to complain about getting muddy because it's their job to walk. And so um, that, and this is where theurgy can come in that we all need to also understand our roles in this kind of cosmic um, organization. But um, when things don't go as we think they should, um, uh, Marcus Aurelius said, you know, um, it, well, it, it, he basically said it, it's, either, it's either the gods or it's random, but even if it's random, you don't need to be random, meaning, meaning himself. So in other mm-hmm. words, we can't tell when things go wrong whether that's just the way it happened or whether there's some larger uh, destiny um, working. But it's generally more productive to assume that there is some destiny working and to try and see how we can help that work out. So I think, you know, when we have a defeat of some sort, um, we can think of that as, as again, not so much a, a problem as a challenge. What is this? How is this challenging us to change our approach to doing things or to solving the problems? It's a, it's a, um, you know, um, um, Marx Aurelius also said that the, that um, you know, that in essentially the Stoic mind is like a fire that it just uses um, its opposition to to further fuel the fire to make it burn brighter. So I think, you know, um, uh, I don't uh, want to go on too long about this. Um, um, one thing I like to point out is that, um, you know, the stoicism that most people are familiar with is the uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And yeah. um, I think this, this is this is a, a very good source. I usually tell people to skip the first book the first time they read it because it's more about gratitude to his teachers, which is fine, but uh, the the more stoic material is, is in the rest of it. But, um, you know, he was, uh, he wanted to be a philosopher. He ended up emperor of the Roman empire, which he, you know, probably really didn't want to do, but he saw that that was the role that destiny had given him. And so, you know, we know that the, the Roman empire was not a very pretty place at times. And, um, so it shows how this philosophy in a sense is very practical and guided a person that was very much embedded in deeply troublesome political, social, climactic, um, military types of problems uh, throughout his life, managed to deal with it uh, quite well. 
And so it's, uh, in that sense, a very practical uh, philosophy. And so I think it makes a nice compliment. You know, when we're thinking about being socially engaged, it makes a very nice way to kind of keep us in a state of serenity as we do our work, as we do our socially engaged work to try and make this this body politic healthier. Um, but, um, you know, deal with the inevitable setbacks, you know, conversely, not to get, you know, overly um, jubilant at the uh, when things go our way, too, because we know there can be later reversals and to um, just generally uh, deal with all of the complexities of real life. You know, Marcus Aurelius says uh, in one of his famous quotes, you know, he says, when you get up this morning, you know, you know, you're going to be dealing with dishonest people and uh, traitorous people and on and on and on. He goes through a whole litany of all of the various sorts of, of uh, repulsive people he's going to be dealing with. But he says, this is reality, you know, and um, one of the stoic ideas was that we are, we should live in accord with human nature and with nature more generally. And he says, that's part of nature is that there are people like this in the world. And we could talk about why, and folks did talk about why, but, but basically there are people like this in the world. And so um, we have to take that as a given, uh, just as you would with dealing with a, a wild animal or, or with an inanimate um, physical thing. So I think it's a very practical philosophy, and I think you mentioned in the introduction, uh, Hercules, uh, it's become quite popular lately. There's actually, I, I saw a Theurgicon, which is taking place in, Athens in um, September, I think. And so for people that, you know, and there's a bunch of books, I think there's about half a dozen books now devoted just to Stoicism, practical, you know, uh, contemporary Stoicism. And um, I've read a couple of them, I guess, and and they're they're pretty good. Um, And so you can, you know, there's a, um, you can sign up for a weekly um, um, emails and stuff like that. You know, and, I, and so I think that's one way to, to learn Stoicism. Um, as I said, I consider it only the second degree of wisdom. So as valuable as it is, I still think um, that, that we need to go on to get that divine inspiration, that divine guidance and divine protection, as we were talking about. I think theurgy is important, but um, it's, it's uh, very reasonably built on a foundation of uh, Stoic practice. And again, it's the practice that's interesting here. It's important. It's not so much the dogma or the uh, theoretical philosophy. Uh, it's the actual practices of the Stoics that I think are, are important, just as, as is the case with uh, Neoplatonic theurgy. So I, I guess I'll, uh, I don't want to ramble on too long, so that's maybe a good point. No, 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 to, you're, to you're laying a and we're going to build on it. And uh, uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, you brought up a very good point, which I'll comment on before we go to Brandy, um, that uh, just like uh, it was mentioned earlier that the Thaumaturgia, uh, even though it's considered lesser by many people, uh, has a definite place. It, it literally means making miracles happen. A Thavma is a, is a miracle. Uh, so it, it, it's definitely more important than most people might think. And the same with uh, Stoicism. Uh, it is about living life here 
uh, more wisely and effectively. So uh, it, it's well considered lesser than the Neoplatonism. It's certainly very important to us uh, who are living here and trying to make miracles happen here. So thank you. And now we go to Brandy. Well, you know, um, I'm so glad that um, you went to Bruce, and I'm so glad that Bruce is on the phone because um, as I was, <laughs> as I've been plotting out my life's course of things to learn, there are things that, um, you know, I focused on, and then I said, I can't learn everything, and stoicism went into that I can't learn everything bucket, <laughs> so I know, like, almost nothing about, I know what Bruce um, taught, so I'm sitting at the feet of the master here. Um, I, while, while you were talking, I said, I got to have something to say, so I went, I, I put a, a note in my web browser, and I I found a a blog post written by a woman whose name is Sophia, who talks about why stoicism is great for activism. So I'll quote her. Um, She has two points that that I think that Bruce has made. A stoic activist is at lower risk of being discouraged by setbacks, which is awesome. And she also says a stoic activist is harder harder to intimidate. (laughs) So you you can stand strong in your stoicism. But I think I, I'd be um, – I was listening very closely to Bruce, um, and I, I like the prayer. Um, we should definitely put that on the list of things that we publish somewhere. And I'd love to know how, how a beginning Stoic would um, – what, what are like the, the one or two things that we could do that would get us on the path of Stoicism. Um, and, and so maybe when you come back around to Bruce, maybe you can be thinking about that. Okay, we we have the master here as well as uh, um, the, the grand witch of the universe. So we have to come up with a, a title for you too, uh, Tony. Gosh, Bruce is a hard act to follow when it comes to stoicism and just about everything else. Um, he covered so much material on stoicism. There's not that much to add, but I wanted to point out that um, the the wonderful thing about stoicism is it pushes, well, as exemplified in the serenity prayer, the idea of identifying those things which we have control over as distinct from those things we don't have control over and focus on the things that we do have control over. Um, as I mentioned before, um, a lot of what we're doing is an art. So there are alternatives to Stoicism. Buddhism is incredibly similar. It pushes the idea of non-attachment. Um, also, um, some of Bruce Lee's philosophies, um, yes. his, his idea of his philosophy of Jeet Kune Do, um, also pushes many um, aspects of Stoicism. I, I just wanted to, to read a particular quote from him. You will continue to suffer if you have an emotional reaction to everything that is said to you. True power is sitting back and observing everything with logic. If words control you, that means everyone else can control you. Breathe and allow things to pass. Um, A very good friend of mine, Janet, actually uploaded that earlier on today, and it was just synchronicity. I thought it it ties in very well with Stoicism. Now, the thing is that um, Stoicism is making a comeback, and there are elements of it visible in in many places. Um, John, the, the late John McCain, for instance, um, he was imprisoned and tortured for five and a half years, and it was stoic practices that enabled him to survive. Um, also, um, a form of psychology called cognitive behavior therapy um, incorporates many ideas that, that um, 
have commonality with stoicism. Um, but the thing is that obviously in order to engage in cognitive behavior therapy, you need to shell out big money for a good therapist. Stoicism, however, is something that you can practice on your own. And um, journaling is incredibly important. Um, the, the most prominent Stoics would have a journal and in the evenings they would chronicle everything that, everything that had happened to them during the day um, and they would learn from that. So it is a way of becoming a, a better person, a non-reactive person. Bruce actually raised a number of really important points and that is that you don't allow yourself to get too depressed over over various things and uh, and also you don't let yourself get too excited over things that seem to be going really well because um, you know the rug can always be pulled out from under your feet but again there are all these elements of stoicism that have that have crept into everyday life the idea of preparing for worst-case scenarios um, setting aside a few days a month to say if you have a fear of poverty basically dress up in really horrible clothing, um, eat ramen noodles, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and just see what it's like to, to be absolutely poor. And once you've prepared for that, then it's not that fear isn't going to have that much of a hold over you. Um, also, when I think of preppers, um, they are, they're basically engaging in stoic practices. They're worried about what's going to happen um, if either the revolution comes or the apocalypse comes. And with the poor rednecks, they're basically stockpiling guns and ammunition. Um, then at the opposite end of the spectrum, you have the ultra-wealthy. You've got the billionaires who are building bunkers for themselves. So yeah. that, um, if, if, the, if the big ones dropped or if, um, or if an asteroid comes out of the heavens... Um, then they will be protected. Another thing that these people are doing is that they're buying up huge tracts of land in the in the center of America. They tend to be very, very um, arid areas. Um, they're areas that they can then exploit for farming. Um, a, a lot of people tell you that you really need to stockpile metals, precious metals, and that advice holds good while people still have surplus food and the like that they will, would be willing to barter for chunks of gold or chunks of silver. But um, what happens when food runs out? You can't eat metal. So these people definitely have the, have the right idea. You need to have land to engage in, in farming practices. And then, of course, you've got the people who are halfway in between who um, may not have the money to, to have um, a luxury bunker or buy up huge tracts of land, but they may have small properties, um, they'll have, they might have a small bomb shelter in there, um, they'll have defenses and the like, so they're preparing for a worst-case scenario. Um, and this may sound frivolous, but one of the things that Stoics do is that they um, focus on death, and, um, and they do it in a very positive way. There was a series online called Adult Wednesday Adams, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever watched no, them, they're, they're very no. short episodes, and well, it's, it's basically, you know, um, the, the Adams family character, um, Wednesday Adams. Well, this is uh, an actress who basically came up with the idea of what, let, let's explore what Wednesday Adams will be like as an adult. And there are a number of episodes where she actually confronts people with their mortality. Um, they, she puts people into situations where um, 
you know, they've got the Grim Reaper staring into their eyes. There was one episode where um, she's engaging a driving exam and, and almost um, runs a cyclist over. But she then talks about what a gift that is because that, that cyclist then would think about how close they came to death and then they start thinking about what is truly important so that you're not wasting time. You know, it's the same thing. You can learn a lot from people who are terminally ill. Um, they don't waste time. They won't waste time on frivolous things. Um, they value each each day and each and and every minute of every day um, doing things that are important. Anyway, I'm just starting to to rant and rave, so I might leave it there. No, that that is awesome. And uh, I'm, before we get to uh, Bruce, I'm actually going to uh, um, contribute a little towards uh, what you were saying. Um, it has happened to me several uh, times in the past uh, few years that uh, I find myself uh, in the underworld. Now, that was uh, difficult uh, until I accepted the fact that part of me will always be in the underworld, archetypally as well as uh, mortally. So once I accepted that, uh, you know, I was able to benefit more from being in the underworld. And Gerberos, uh, which means spot, by the way, in, in ancient Greek, which I find uh, very fascinating and enheartening, uh, um, would appear uh, with my three greatest fears, the three heads, and then a bunch of lesser fears, all the snakes. So uh, I would have to you know, basically face that whenever I felt uh, the presence of uh, Kerberos. And then Ivis would uh, um, you know, enter my consciousness and say things that were true but not initially reassuring, like everything ends. You can't take anything with you, that uh, you have no control <laughs> over uh, your time or anything that happens to you. This can end in a second. So this would be uh, a list of these things would be uh, repeated. Uh, and I couldn't argue their truth. They were true. So uh, I stopped uh, um, reacting to them and I was able to absorb uh, them. But I find now, and I've made it a regular practice, uh, to uh, uh, basically open myself to whatever fears are keeping me stuck uh, and also to whatever underworld deity may have something to point out or perspective. And I find that in the lore one, that's been a very empowering practice. Uh, you know, rather can, can than... I, can I th sure. Yeah, can I, I just wanted to throw an idea at you. Um, the okay. idea of the underworld as being evil, um, a place of suffering and the like tends to be predominantly Christian. When you look at what non-Christians believed in ancient times, um, for them, every encounter with an underworld entity was would result in a transmission of, of knowledge. Think of the oracle, yeah. the oracular sites that we had. People would go into the underworld, have an encounter with an underworld being, and that would result in either a transmission of knowledge or an acquisition of power. The ancient Egyptians were supposed to have had, had chambers where magicians would go in in order to, to be initiated. So the underworld was not something to be feared. It was um, a place where you would go in order to acquire knowledge and power. So um, I would be, I hope I don't sound too bold in suggesting this, but perhaps you've got like vestiges of your Christian upbringing that, that need to be purged from your psyche because the underworld isn't that fearful. I find it I find it not fearful now, but initially I must have uh, had a lot of yes. that condition still left. But uh, now I welcome uh, 
Um, you know, and uh, I'm honored that somebody would take the time to spend with me and give me uh, uh, an undisputable insight that I need to keep in mind as I navigate through life. Thank you, though. Pleasure. And now we've come full circle to Bruce, the master. <laughs> yeah, well, I, don't, I don't think I want to claim that title, but anyway. <laughs> um, it fits. Yes, it does. So you know, I you know there are there are experts on stoicism um, in the world, and and um, although I think I've got a pretty decent grasp of it, I'm not sure I would I would claim that that level of mastery. But you know, I and having said that, you know, um, um, in terms of uh, what's the best way to learn it, well, there are three chapters about it in my book, so. Um, that is what I tried to do is, is essentially present a, um, a brief practical introduction to, to uh, stoicism, especially structured around uh, practices. And um, some of the other books that, are, that I mentioned that are about stoicism, um, they're also practical. Uh, they're not just talking about stoicism as a, as a historical phenomenon. So they would be good too, and I, you know, I, I, um, um, I don't know that I have one off the top of my head that I'd recommend, but, but if somebody wanted to, you know, sort of a book-length introduction to Stoicism, uh, uh, probably any one of those would be, would be good. Now, um, the uh, perhaps the um, advantage for for my book is that it does lead into theurgy, and so mm-hmm. it's uh, essentially. Um, a, um, uh, if you like, a stopping point on the way to uh, theurgy. And so its practices are very much also uh, grounded in it. But uh, just to talk about um, how, you, how you do it, well, you need to, there, there's some um, theoretical background to, uh, the, um, to the practices. And I'll just very briefly state what they are without going into a lot of detail. Uh, there's three disciplines. They're called the discipline of ascent, the discipline of desire, and discipline of impulse. And the goal of the discipline of ascent is to be able to tell the true from the false, from the uncertain. And uh, so this is about um, um, uh, classifying or categorizing or characterizing things accurately. Um, the discipline of desire is about what is good, what is bad. And what is indifferent, and again, good, bad, and indifferent is interpreted in terms of uh, is it a morally good action or a morally bad action or is it a morally indifferent action? So that's the only sense of of good and bad and stoicism. Uh, And then the discipline of impulse is about acting and not acting and how you actually act. And that has to do with justice and um, altruism and um, um, more social behavior. And so all of those things then form a foundation for uh, Stoic practices. But again, um, you know, like with any of these philosophies, you can read about them in a book and say, well, that's fine, uh, but uh, they're no good to you unless you uh, actually practice them. And uh, there's a famous uh, quotation from uh, Epicurus that goes along the lines of um, 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 that, that any philosophy is worthless if it has not 
uh, cured some human ill. It doesn't help us to live better. And so, um, you know, and uh, to use another analogy, uh, you can read about how to swim, but unless you get into the water and practice, you, you won't be able to swim, and it won't be able to save you from drowning. And that's really, I think, a good analogy for all of these yeah. philosophies, and, and Stoicism in particular, that you've got to practice it if you want it to be effective uh, when the stuff hits the fan. Um, so there's a number of practices. One um, which uh, Tony alluded to, it's usually called the pre premeditation of misfortunes. And so the idea, uh, now you can do it the way Tony said about if you're, if you're premeditating poverty, you can, you can, um, you know, uh, for a, for a, a while you can live in poverty and see how that feels. But the, but it's usually done with visualization. So the idea that would be that you would sit yourself down in a quiet place and just really quite vividly visualize what it would be like if you uh, had no money or if you lost your job or if you had a major expense or whatever it might be. And, um, the idea is that, of course, you should respond to that situation in a stoic way. And a stoic would say, well, that's not bad per se. Poverty is not bad. It doesn't prevent you from acting morally. It has all sorts of other consequences, but it's not bad in this fundamental stoic sense. And so, um, you know, another famous stoic saying, uh, and this is one of those little sayings that, that um, you bring out in the actual Heat of, a fa uh, heat of things is what in this is past bearing. So you get injured, uh, something terrible happens, you ask yourself, what in this is past bearing? And the idea is you can bear it, uh, mm. that it may be unpleasant, but um, you, can, you can put up with it and, uh, and then decide what to do about it. So the idea of the premeditation of misfortunes is that you think about all of the various awful things that could happen to you, and then you think about, well, what would I do, you know? Um, and uh, as a practical matter, you usually start with small things, uh, you know, uh, what would happen if my car got a flat tire, uh, and then you work up to uh, harder things. Uh, what would happen if I was diagnosed with cancer? What would happen if uh, my a loved one died? What would happen if a child died? And so on. Um, and um, what would happen if an asteroid was going to collide with the Earth? You know, you can, so you, you start with things that are that are less of a challenge, and just think your way through how you would respond to them, and um, and then work more hard harder ones. So this is something you would do over a course of of months or years even. The idea is that you're preparing yourself so that when actual bad things do happen, and you know they will, then um, you're prepared for them, and you can uh, react to them in a stoic way. And the stoic reaction would be, okay, this has happened. It was random, perhaps, or it was uh, uh, my destiny, perhaps. Regardless, what now is the best way to respond to this? And to do that, not in the heat of emotion, which clouds your thoughts, but to do it from a state of serenity when you can you can make uh, better choices and uh, decide more effectively what to do. So that's one practice. And again, these things have to be practiced over a period of time. 
Um, and that's what Marcus Aurelius's meditations is. It's um, it wasn't intended for other people to read at all. This was his private uh, journal, his private spiritual journal. And one of the practices uh, of in Stoicism and in these other ancient philosophies is to write down short phrases or sometimes just very short little proofs uh, about some Stoic principle and to keep reformulating them in vivid terms so that, again, these are almost like um, talismans that when you're in an actual difficult situation, um, you can call them to mind and they help guide you then in your action. Uh, they uh, um, can be called immediately to mind. And so you, by continually rewriting them and re-expressing them in new ways, you essentially imprint them in your mind so that they're ready to hand uh, in, in actual situations. And so that's part of the purpose of the premeditation of misfortunes, uh, too, is to prepare yourself for, for whatever bad things might happen. Of course, you hope they won't, but you know some of them, some of them will. Um, so that sounds kind of morbid, um, but it's, uh, it's, again, it's a way of essentially being prepared. Um, Tony also mentioned that um, many of these uh, practices uh, seem very Buddhist, and that's also struck me many times and other people as well, uh, particularly some of the detachment uh, is, uh, is very Buddhist in flavor. And there's a lot of, when you, when you concentrate on the practices, Stoic practices and Buddhist practices, uh, there is a lot, of, a lot in common between them. Uh, I'll just mention another practice. It's called the view from above. Okay. And the idea is that you, um, again, it's a visualization. So you visualize, visualize yourself where you are, um, but then gradually uh, elevating up into the air. And you can find ancient uh, accounts of this uh, uh, in ancient literature, uh, views from above exactly of this sort. But basically what you do is you visualize yourself rising in the air, um, and so you rise up above your house and uh, eventually above your city and your your country. And, of course, as you get higher and higher, you see all of the stuff that normally causes trouble uh, getting smaller and smaller and smaller and becoming less significant. And typically the way this exercise is done, you also imagine time speeding up. So you yes. see people being born, living their lives, dying. You see countries coming into existence and going out of existence. You see civilizations rising and falling. And the goal of this exercise is to help you put things in perspective. You know, that the things that loom so large in our life at any given moment, um, uh, when you see them in this much larger perspective, they, they don't seem quite so important anymore. Um, and, you know, again, this is not to say you should just accept everything and um, consider everything unimportant, but it's to kind of discharge the emotions. You know, the, one of the important terms in um, Stoicism is apatheia, um, which gives us the English word apathy, but, but that's, it's really quite different in meaning. It means not to, be, not to suffer not to uh, really be jerked around by the emotions. And a lot of that's what um, Stoicism is trying to do is to, um, is to um, 
separate habitual emotions from things that happen. So, you know, for example, and this is, again, a stoic practice, um, if you hurt yourself, um, you know, you burn yourself, say, um, well, the pain is a physical reaction. You can't stop that. And you probably will say, ouch, uh, or something like that, um, something stronger maybe. And um, that's also essentially uh, a reflex reaction. But then the Stoic says what you do with that afterwards is what the Stoic practice, and this is where the detachment comes in. This is where the difference between pain and suffering comes in. You know, that that, um, you say, okay, I burned myself. Is that bad? Well, no. It didn't stop me from acting morally. So it's just something that happened to me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to put something on it? Yes, it hurts. Am I going to do something about that? But but it, it separates the the habitual emotion uh, from the, uh, the actual um, uh, physical response, which is essentially out of your control. But remember, it's all about freedom and, and, and your genuine sources of freedom. Um, so, um, so an interesting question, which, which uh, maybe I'll pose to the others, of course, is, the general opinion in Stoicism is to not act out of your emotions, but yet we know that anger can be very powerful in activism. And, um, you know, there's uh, stories about um, various philosophers that when this course was in ancient Greece where they had slavery and uh, inviting in a friend to beat their slave because saying, I'm angry at him and I don't want to beat him while I'm angry. So with with this idea that you shouldn't act out of anger, uh, but, you know, the the presumption was it was still the right thing to do to beat the slave because whatever they'd done wrong. Um, So I think, you know, an interesting question is, you know, clearly if you're just in a rage, you're probably not going to act in a very wise way. But on the other hand, anger can be an important motivator for action. So how do we cultivate that sort of rational or righteous anger without falling into the irrational rage? And and I think maybe I'll that's a, a question I'd like to pose to the rest of you. Wow. Uh, yeah, Brandy, somebody who'd like to tackle that one. That's a that's a really great question, and it's something that I sort of deal with on a on a day to day basis in all of these actions. And one thing that I find is that um, it's important for people to have emotion and to express that emotion, but not act it out. So yesterday we're at the uh, Paulsbo City Council, and <clears throat> person after person steps up to the mic and says, uh, "My friend was killed, and I'm very unhappy." Um, but they're not shouting it, right? So they're staying, stating, stating the emotion, but not acting the emotion out. And the council said, we heard your emotion, and we also appreciate that you said it in a way that we can, we can handle it, we can deal with it. So that's, that's one way, is to, to not act it out. <clears throat> and I think um, another thing, you know, it's very important because the anger can lead you into um, 
pushes you into action, but you don't want it to push you into an action that you're not in control of, um, if that makes sense. I'm thinking about the, the um, event I led where people came in and they were very angry, and it felt very much, more angry than I expected. I expected grief. I didn't expect people to come in like ready to, to um, really hurt something, and it felt like I was sit, sitting on top of a beast and trying to turn, turn the, the rage of the crowd in the appropriate direction. So I kind of kept it under wraps, and then I said, all right, you guys, you can go out into the street and wave your signs and they ran out into the street and start you know shouted and chanted and and physically worked that out so it's important to give the anger a place to go a, a place for a channel to to run in that's appropriate uh, and i think the third thing is when i i'm personally dealing with my anger when i have that sense of righteous rage it's a it's a form of energy and i stay calm even though the rage is there i'm personally calm when i'm angry and i've lost control of that anger i have physiological reactions i shake and um and my heart starts beating faster and i get adrenaline so i know that i need to stop and and do the practices i do to to be um uh, to balance and center that that anger so that's my that's my two cents thank you that was a very powerful two cents <laughs> It uh, brought us a lot of things uh, to think about and to ponder. Thank you, Brandy. And Tony? I'm not sure how much I can I can add to that. All I can all I can really do is say that I basically agree with what um, Bruce and Brandy have suggested. The thing is that if we do act while we're very angry, then there's a very good possibility that we'll act irrationally. And we may find ourselves doing something which we will regret. So you do need to dissipate that anger. The thing is, um, I don't think it's appropriate to just pretend that the thing that didn't happen because then that anger will fester within us. We need to give that, that anger a, I think Brandy referred to it as a channel, some, some means of letting it dissipate. So in the 60s, um, people were getting into primal scream therapy, screaming into a pillow, um, banging on things. Um, another way of dissipating energy, and Hercules, you'll be able to relate to this, is go to the gym. Um, yeah. I, had a I had a training buddy years ago who told me that he would have his best leg workouts after fighting with his girlfriend. So the point was he'd be angry and he would go to the gym hammer his legs really really hard and he'd come out of it feeling really calm another thing that's worked for me is um playing guitar um you you crank the guitar up the distortion and that helps you to dissipate stress as well once that stress has been dissipated once your anger is gone then you're in a position where you still have access to the residual effects of that anger um so that that will motivate you to, to act. But because the anger has largely been dissipated, you're not going to do anything that you're going to be embarrassed, that you're going to be embarrassed by or you may find yourself regretting afterwards. Um, just changing the subject for a second, um, Bruce was talking about um, using the view from above exercise. I actually came across a quote from astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who was one of the first people to actually have um, a view from above of the, of the earth and what he wrote was in outer space you develop an instant global consciousness a people orientation an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world and a compulsion to do something about it 
So he's yeah. basically saying that by being up there and staring at, at the uh, at the blue ball that we call the Earth um, was pushing him towards activism, realizing what was really important. And the thing that I meant to mention before um, is that the advantage that Stoicism has over Buddhism and Jeet Kune Do or any or or um, any other sort of philosophy that may, that may help us to um, act in an appropriate manner is that Stoicism was a Hellenistic philosophy. So it was something that was, as Bruce pointed out, it was practiced contemporaneously with theurgy. So as a result, the, the two mesh together really, really well. So I think we're far better off incorporating Stoicism with theurgy than, say, something like Buddhism, at least for starters. Then if you find that you're more drawn to Buddhism than Stoicism, you know, by all means, modify. Very but, um, awesome. Yeah, just, yeah, we're running out uh, of time, I think. Yes, we've run out of time. Uh, so if everybody can quickly just give one way that people can contact them. I've listed all the others uh, uh, on uh, Facebook. So uh, we'll start with Brandy again. Yeah, brandywilliamsauthor.com is my main website and has my contact information. Thank you very much, Tony. Probably through Facebook. I spend way too much time on social media, so I, I check my Facebook page a, a number of times a day. So that's the easiest way to contact me, or the most effective. And, and I can vouch for that, and I look forward to meeting you there all the time. And uh, Bruce, <laughs> uh, I think the best way to to get in touch with me and see some of my work is uh, either at wisdomofhypatia.com. Wisdom of Hypatia is all one word, or at opsopaus.com. That's O-P-S-O-P-A-U-S.com, which actually has a lot of my older writing on it um, there. So those are not so much into, into the social media, so those are probably the best ways to get, a, get in touch. And there's a wealth of information at uh, both of those uh, sites. Uh, you'll be spending years exploring it. Uh, thank you to all of you. You're awesome. Um, I really got a lot out of today's conversation. I'm sure our listeners uh, did as well. Um, until next time, joyous journeys. And thanks to all who joined us uh, from home and spent some time with us. Well, thank you, Hercules. Thank okay, you. Be well. And uh, my uh, board is not working very well, so let's see if I can press another button here. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, May your journeys be joyous.